Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel. Honestly, you don't want to be taking generic legal advice from a YouTube channel or podcast in any event. On with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing partner of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we're reacting to another sterling investigative journalism piece from Kotaku's Jason Schreier, who has unveiled yet another element of the continuing Bioware anthem saga. If you follow Virtual Legality regularly, you know that we touched on some of the issues that Bioware and Anthem had had in particular in respect of its messaging surrounding an utterly disastrous open early access period for VIPs, folks that had already purchased the game, pre-ordered it, and talking about the failures that they had in terms of tone and the message that they were conveying to their audience. Uh, and today, Kotaku released a very long-form article that we're going to talk about in pieces today. I'm going to link it in the description because it is a wonderful piece of journalism and it deserves all the clicks that you can give it. Uh, but they also elected to respond to that article. Uh, and like before, they continue to have a, a blind spot in the way that they are communicating both with their audience and the public at large. Uh, that is the focus point of this particular episode of Virtual Legality. I want to talk about messaging, about crisis messaging. If you follow this channel for any length of time, you'll find that messaging is becoming one of the themes of 2019 in the video game industry, dealing with how to talk about layoffs, how to talk about failure how to talk about things that you maybe don't want to talk about in a way that gets to the heart of the matter, gets to the truth of the matter, doesn't necessarily uh, portray your company negatively, but also doesn't condescend to your audience. And video game companies are having a great deal of difficulty dealing with that right now. But to get to that message, to talk about why Bioware's message is uh, in part unsatisfactory, we have to talk about the article that Jason put up at Kotaku, and it is uh, a very long one. It's a great one. Like I said, it deserves every click you can give it, so we're only going to talk about the highlights here, but it's called How Bioware's Anthem Went Wrong. This is an article that went up on Kotaku today. In the article, just days before the annual E3 convention in June of 2017, when the storied studio Bioware would reveal its newest game, the plan had been to go with a different title. Beyond. Then, less than a week before the Los Angeles press conference held by BioWare's parent company, Electronic Arts, word came down that securing the rights to the trademark would be too difficult. Taking a step back for a moment to talk a little bit about virtual legality, you can see here how the law interacts with the simple process of making a video game. And one of those is with securing trademarks and copyrights and other protections for the game that you want to release into the wild. Beyond is an English word. Uh, and it's a word used in a lot of entertainment media. Just looking at this, one thing I can think of off the top of my head is I believe Beyond was the subtitle for the latest Star Trek movie. And Star Trek, while it's not a video game, does have video game adjacent features, including iOS apps and things like that. And it wouldn't surprise me if a Star Trek Beyond interactive piece of software existed out in the wild. 
and certainly negotiating with the paramounts of the world is no easy task. It's going to cost money and there's no real reason to negotiate for that word if you can have another word that's equally useful. Uh, but as you see in this article, it goes on to talk about the fact that beyond was a mission statement for the game. It was talking about going out in the wild, going beyond, and Anthem didn't really mean anything. One of the things that jumped out at me at the intro of this article, which is really just an anecdote about this name change as kind of emblematic of the problems they were having creating the game in the first place, Jason describes what happened with respect to the Beyond and Anthem names as later they came up with an explanation for the name. The game's planet was enveloped by something called the Anthem of Creation, a powerful, mysterious force that left environmental cataclysms across the world. Indeed, that's the main focus point of the story as presented in the game as it was released earlier this year. But what really jumped out at me there was this notion of how he describes it as they came up with an explanation. Uh, earlier in the article, and certainly how I had perceived it before I got to this paragraph, I thought, okay, they had two options. They could call it Beyond because you go out over the walls, or you can call it Anthem because they're dealing with the Anthem of Creation, and that's the main thrust of the kind of mysticism behind the plot. But certainly that framing uh, in this article suggests that maybe the Anthem of Creation wasn't a part of the plot, wasn't even a concept, until after the name had come up. So you have to essentially reverse engineer what an anthem is and how it relates to your game. And if that's the case, it is emblematic of issues with development. And ones we're going to talk about as are highlighted in this article, uh, but it is certainly uh, an interesting point of emphasis uh, in terms of the way it's described here. Uh, going on in the article, it says, Today, Anthem has a 55 on the review aggregation site Metacritic, Bioware's lowest score since the company was founded in 1995. This account of Anthem's development is a story of indecision and mismanagement. And I want you to remember as we go through this article, those kinds of slightly editorial comments that are in it. Obviously, this is a piece of news. This is investigative journalism. That's always going to come with a certain element of subjectivity from the person writing the article. Frankly, it comes with a certain amount of subjectivity just from the decision to write the article. That can't be gotten rid of. Objective journalism is certainly a fine pie-in-the-sky thing to aim for, uh, and I think this is fairly objective in the way it treats both Bioware and Anthem, as well as electronic arts. Uh, but we're human beings, and so you're always going to have a perspective. Uh, and so you see these kinds of lines. It's important to remember them because Bioware is going to react to them, as Kotaku says without reading the article, and that's a different point. Uh, but they're going to react to them uh, essentially as a hit piece, that this was designed to tear people down, to tear Bioware down, to tear Electronic Arts and Anthem down, and they didn't provide comment because they're not in the business of helping folks tear their people down. Uh, but I think as we look through this, and again, I've only highlighted certain aspects, so I do recommend reading it for yourself, you'll see that there is that level of objectivity. There isn't a direct uh, and intended decision to tear individuals down as much as there is a discussion of management processes, decision-making processes that, in my opinion, are fully within the realm of reason for uh, discussion. You can't improve a product, you can't improve a process, you can't improve an industry without discussing what went wrong. And if one of the premier video game companies on earth deliver a 55-level game, and they can't admit even to themselves that something went wrong in that process, then you've got issues all the way up the line. And I think that's what we're seeing here with Bioware, and it's a shame, because for me personally, Bioware has made some of my favorite video games of all time. 
uh, certainly getting into the 3D era of starting with Knights of the Old Republic, but even before then, Baldur's Gate and some of those games that took place in that Dungeons and Dragons environment were some of my favorite experiences in my youth. And it's a shame to see Bioware uh, kind of get into this decision-making process that led to Anthem and then continue that decision-making process that's leading to the messaging surrounding Anthem. And I think you can't have one without the other, really, and that's part of this story. Continuing on in the article, uh, there's this notion of Bioware magic. It says, within the studio, there's a term called Bioware magic. It's a belief that no matter how rough a game's production might be, things will always come together in the final months. The game will always coalesce. Again, stepping back, I think one of the interesting things about how this is framed, this Bioware magic concept, is how often you can see it in your own life, whether that's with coworkers, whether that's with uh, a particular professional or amateur athlete that you follow, uh, that you know is perhaps a good shooter in a basketball game, and if they take a couple of bad threes to start out with and they just happen to go in, you know you're in for a long night because they think they've got the hot touch and it doesn't matter if they miss the next 19 because they made those first two. That's all I could think about while I was reading this paragraph was this notion of folks that survive this trauma, that get lucky, that you roll double sixes when your percentage chance was very low, often think that that magic can continue to happen, uh, and even if it doesn't make sense from a logical or analytical standpoint. And it certainly seems that the history of Bioware, as described in this paragraph, they talk about Mass Effect and Dragon Age uh, Origins and Inquisition, not so much Dragon Age 2, you'll note, as having this magic that things were a tire fire, a train wreck, going forward until they weren't. And then games popped out that won them Game of the Year awards, won them accolades. And when you get into that mindset, it's very easy to assume that it's just magic. It's something ephemeral, that it doesn't have to go right until the last 18 months, until the last 12 months, and then something magical happens. And truth be told, that probably happens a lot in the industry. A lot of games come into the finish line hot. They release just in the nick of time uh, with everything coming together, finished, and into a product that we, we know and love. Uh, but it's no way to run a railroad, as they say. And that's one of the things that this article points out, because when you do have that mentality, when it is a train wreck going into that last 12-month stretch, that's when you introduce problems with project management. That's when you introduce crunch time. That's when you introduce issues like high levels of stress and need for medical leaves and things of that nature. Uh, and it's not just video games. It's not just the video game industry that has to deal with these things. Lawyers, uh, as I say for myself, is one of the most uh, highly uh, suicidal and stress-filled professions uh, in the world. Uh, and it, that's not anybody's fault necessarily, except that law firms have been around for a long time and they have a tendency to extract a heavy toll on the folks that operate within them. Lawyering is, in essence, a conflict-oriented pursuit, so you're always going to have that stress. Uh, and and I'd, I'd like to think that that stress isn't absolutely required in the production of entertainment, uh, but certainly work is toil, and there's going to be some of those stressors in producing these things. But every single time, it can be done better. The industry to move forward has to do better, has to continue to get better. Uh, and if you turn a blind eye to the need to con constantly improve, you'll never be improving. And that's, that's what I fear really from Bioware, and to a lesser extent, at least in this story, from Electronic Arts. Again, we're skipping through a lot of really good detail here, a lot of good investigative journalism, because I do want you to click on the article. I do want you to check it out. It's a good read. Uh, continuing on, as these questions lingered, how would Anthem look? How would it play? 
the Anthem team faced a major shakeup. In August of 2014, so it's 2019 now, it's so five, five years ago, or four and a half years ago, as they continued to prototype and dream about their game, they lost their leader, Casey Hudson, who had directed the beloved Mass Effect trilogy and was supposed to be creative director on Anthem, was departing. And you hear of here some descriptions about how he was the leader of the ship. He was the, he was the guy for whom the buck stopped, and he was the one that made decisions in meetings. He was the one that told the crew where they were going uh, and labeled that destination as the final endpoint goal. And we also have here perhaps the most illuminating revelation of the entire article, which is that Jason Schreer, when talking about Casey Hudson's effect on the team, says now the Enterprise no longer had its Jean-Luc Picard. Uh, so Jason is a Picard man and not a Kirk man. I think that's well worth noting. I myself am as well. Uh, but I did find that interesting looking at the article. That being said, even after Casey Hudson's departure, Anthem's morale was among the highest in all of EA. Now, EA only has a certain number of other teams, and certainly 2014 through 2019, uh, this is the era of EA that led to all of the layoffs, led to the studio closures, uh, led to things like Mass Effect Andromeda's release and getting uh, all the negative exposure for BioWare. So it's really no surprise that the very small, very focused experimental team on Anthem was the happiest. They weren't producing anything. They were in pre-production. But the fact remains, they were the happiest. They had the highest morale. And when you go through a process where that high level of morale becomes a low level of morale, and we're going to see in the article, becomes people leaving with stress-induced medical leaves, uh, that's a problem. That's, that's a management issue. Uh, and to look aside from that is a mistake. Going forward in the article, we talk about the actual process. There's a paragraph here, a couple paragraphs here, that talk about the fact they didn't know what the game was. And so they were working on traversal. Uh, if you've played Anthem, you know really the highlight of the game is the fact that you can fly around. It starts out in a suit, uh, much like Iron Man, uh, and you can fly around like Iron Man. And that's really the hook. That's what makes Anthem different from Destiny, certainly different from Division 2. Uh, and that wasn't in the game uh, any number of times. And for years, it went in and out of the game, as this article describes. And it says every time they changed the traversal, it meant changing the world design accordingly flattening and stretching terrain to accommodate the latest movement style. And that, that, my friends, is the crux of the problem with production. When you're talking about production management, you have to think about the phrase, you measure twice, you cut once. You have to have the plan in place because you're putting all of these assets together. You're putting all of this labor, all of this effort into doing something. And if you have something as fundamental as the way your game plays, the traversal that takes place in your 3D environment then this kind of thing happens. You have to flatten it if you can't fly. You have to raise it if you can. And it creates all this extra work. You have to go through the pre-production phase to get it solved as to what you're going to be. Uh, and it seems to me, from based on this article, that they had a lot of trouble doing this. The next paragraph talks about a procedural system that didn't work. It says the game was super reliant on a procedural system that just wasn't fun. We saw that same issue in the investigative pieces that were done on Mass Effect Andromeda, where they were trying to build a procedurally generated solar system with procedurally generated planets, and it just didn't work out. Now, me personally, I don't have any problem with them trying new things, experimenting with new ideas. That's how you get the best new game. That's how you get the industry and new genres of games to emerge. But you don't do that after you've got a certain amount of resources committed because everybody will go crazy. 
And we know this from the kind of serious side of things. We know this from uh, clients that are working on biopharmaceuticals and life sciences and mechanical items and other things. We know that if you don't hash out what it is that you're building first, you're going to burn a lot of money. You're going to burn a lot of people and you're going to wind up with basically nothing at the end of the process. And it looks to me like Anthem and EA and BioWare, and particularly this notion of BioWare magic, really had an issue with coming to a specific vision for the game and then building it. And I'm not here to say that creating something is easy or that creative art is easy. I think there's always going to be iterations. There's always going to be changes as you go along with the process. That's part of it. And making video games is hard. That's one of the things that BioWare will say in their statement to this article. But you have to have the bulk of what you're aimed at in your sites, or else you're going to be firing blanks and you're going to be burning people out. The biggest issue that I saw in this article for what was this mismanagement problem is in the following paragraph. The story started changing drastically too. In early 2015, veteran Dragon Age writer David Guider moved over to Anthem, and his version of the story looked a lot different than the ideas with which they'd been experimenting for the past few years. Guider's style was traditional Bioware, big complicated villains, ancient alien artifacts, and so on, which rankled some of the developers who were hoping for something more subtle. As you can imagine, this is a quote from Guider, writing for Bioware sets the foundation for all the games, said one developer. I'm sorry, this is another developer that gave anonymous quotes to Jason Schreier. When writing is unsure of what it's doing, it causes a lot of destruction to a lot of departments. If there's one thing that comes to mind with what Bioware was as a company, and I say was because I'm not so sure about it anymore, it was essentially the best writing in the video game business, a care for the worlds that they were building, an attention to detail in the characters they were depicting, and the interactions of those characters as they progressed through a story in that world. Now, Bioware could be guilty of a lot of things. They were fairly tropey stories about chosen ones fighting ancient evils, and that's all fair. And even the paragraph that we just read describes how some were chafing against kind of the Bioware storyline, which as an aside is basically what wound up getting put into Anthem at the end of the day. But the writing is what Bioware had to sell. Uh, when my brother and I were talking about the Anthem project after it was announced, we talked about Destiny. We talked about how there was a hole to be filled because Destiny had so fumbled the ball with what the storyline was in the initial iterance that the... Uh, Observer comes uh, and looks over the earth and, or the traveler, I'm sorry, I can't even get their mythological phrasing right. The traveler comes, looks over the earth, and you fight alien bad guys. Uh, and there was so much space there to develop that world, to enjoy that environment better that Bungie had put together, that it seemed like if Bioware was going to jump into the fray, they had no experience doing the kind of gunplay or gameplay that Bungie did, so they probably couldn't compete on that score. But what they could compete on was writing, lore, world building. And that was going to be their key to the kingdom. So when Anthem comes out, and when we see paragraphs like this, where the story is very pedestrian and not really altogether too much more there than Destiny or Division or anything else that you can think of in the looter-shooter genre, you find the fundamental issue. Bioware's fundamental ability to make stories was what it was going to sell this game on. And if that doesn't exist, then you wind up with a 55 score. 
Going on in the article, we see more reiterations out of these developers that gave quotes to Jason about this issue with the mismanagement. The root cause of all this was that lack of vision. I think most people on the team felt like we didn't know exactly what the game was. A group of developers are in a meeting. They're debating some creative decision, like the mechanics of flying or the lore behind the Scar Alien race. Some people disagree on the fundamentals. And then rather than someone stepping up and making a decision about how to proceed, the meeting would end with no real verdict, leaving everything in flux. If you've ever been in a dysfunctional office environment, you know exactly what this is like. This is paralysis by analysis. This is meetings for the sake of meetings so that people can look like they're getting things done, especially management, and nothing ever gets done. In fact, meetings often take away from that productivity because they take two hours out of the day and people don't have marching orders. They don't have directions to follow. So everyone's confused. And when you come to cross purposes, things get not only not better, but actually actively worse. And so this is the exact kind of description you would expect from that environment, from someone acting without a strong management hand and not proceeding down a line that gets something to an end state, a product that can sell. Uh, and that's, that's not a criticism leveled at individuals as human beings, as failings as a, as a human, as a person. It's a criticism of the decision-making process. Everybody makes mistakes. Management here clearly made mistakes, and that's what resulted in the product that you see before you. That's something that they're trying to actively correct, and I think they're to be lauded for it. But you can't look away from the mistakes that were made or you'll never improve. Going on in the article, there's a number of sections here that talk about Frostbite. If you're not familiar with Frostbite, it was the engine created for the Battlefield series by DICE, uh, which is an electronic arts subsidiary. The Frostbite engine was built to be a first-person shooter engine. Uh, it is wonderfully pretty. It is very fun to look at. However, after it was made for Battlefield, Electronic Arts put out an edict that all of its subsidiaries would be using it for their games. And a number of companies had a difficulty with this. It wasn't designed to have a third-person avatar. It wasn't designed to have an inventory. It wasn't designed to function as a role-playing game. Uh, and so we see a lot of videos. We see a lot of articles about the difficulties that uh, Bioware had had with Dragon Age Inquisition and Mass Effect Andromeda. Uh, and this continued here. Uh, in this article, it says, Frostbite is a video game engine or a suite of technology that is used to make a game. Many of the features those developers had taken for granted in previous engines, like a save load system and a third-person camera, simply did not exist in Frostbite. Throughout those early years in development, the Anthem team realized that many of the ideas they'd originally conceived in that long, long, long pre-production period would be difficult, if not impossible, to create on Frostbite. So again, when we're talking about kind of an objective, unbiased tone, a description of what's happening here. Note that this section of the article isn't laying any particular blame on individuals at Bioware. It's instead laying blame on the Frostbite engine, which, by context, is really laying blame on the corporate edict from Electronic Arts to have all of its subsidiaries use Frostbite. And the reason that they would make an edict like that is because they don't have to pay a licensing fee for the internal use of an engine. If you go out and you, and you use the Unreal Engine, you wind up paying Epic a cut of your revenues on your video games. And so a lot of publishers don't want to do that. And Electronic Arts had an engine that worked really well with Battlefield, and it also worked really well with Battlefront, not unsurprisingly, since that's a first-person shooter that just happens to use stormtroopers and laser beams. But... For these other games, a lot of their subsidiaries chafed. A lot of them had difficulty. When you have something like Anthem, 
It is a confluence of issues. It's a failure in management. It's a failure in management at the electronic arts level. It's failures all around. And it's very useful to do postmortem analysis to look at what went wrong so that you don't make the same mistakes again. Unfortunately, one of the subtexts of an article like this about Anthem's development is how similar it looks and feels to the problems that Bioware had with Mass Effect Andromeda, that it had with Dragon Age Inquisition, that other subsidiaries with Electronic Arts had with things like the Frostbite engine. And so you're looking at a culture, a corporate culture, that maybe isn't making the corrective actions that need to happen. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to make failures. It's even okay to market those failures if you're honest about it. But if you don't learn from them, you're going in the wrong direction. And that's something that Bioware and Electronic Arts can improve if they focus on it. As a Bioware developer says, it's hard enough to make a game, but it's really hard to make a game where you have to fight your own tool set all the time. Within EA, it was common for studios to battle for resources like the Frostbite team's time. That's the team that essentially supported the engine throughout all of Electronic Arts subsidiaries. And Bioware would usually lose those battles. After all, role-playing games brought in a fraction of the revenue of a FIFA or a battlefront. Well, that makes sense, right? You're a corporation, you're Electronic Arts, you're making all of this money from FIFA, all of this money from Battlefront. You want to make sure your resources are allocated in the way that they're most productive. But if you leave another group completely starving for resource allocation, you wind up getting things like this. And we'll see later in the article, EA will ultimately wind up flying in essentially a strike team to help fix the Frostbite engine, to help make it work for Anthem because they weren't getting the resources they needed. And I will tell you from experience, fixing things on an emergency basis, flying in strike teams, doing those kinds of things are massively more expensive than having a good, efficient pipeline that allocates the resources in a proper way throughout your corporate enterprise. It's not easy to work. It's not easy work. It's not easy to do. I don't want to pretend that it is. But it is essentially why upper management gets paid the big bucks, to work out these problems, to figure out how to allocate their assets, to get everybody rowing in the same direction and finishing up with a product that everyone can be proud of. And it clearly didn't happen here. Continuing with the article, over the months, Anthem had begun naturally picking up ideas and mechanics from loot shooters like The Division and Destiny, although even mentioning the word Destiny was taboo at Bioware. We were told quite definitively, this isn't Destiny, said one developer. But it kind of is. Because leadership didn't want to discuss Destiny, that developer added, they found it hard to learn from what Bungie's loot shooter did well. Here's another issue when we talk about corporate culture, and that's not looking at competitive analysis, not looking at the comparisons that are most appropriate to look at for what you're trying to bring to market. This is essentially blind leadership. You don't want to say that you're copycatting, and I don't think Anthem really is a copycat of Destiny. It's just another game in the same genre but you so don't want to be associated with that other game, that more significant game in the current genre, that you essentially tell everybody that that's not what we're building. That's not what we're doing. Don't mention it. Don't bring it up in a meeting. And that's just blind. Talk about Destiny. Talk about what it does right. God knows there's enough that it does wrong that you can pick out weaknesses and say, hey, I'm going to fix that. We're going to do that better. That's going to be our call to arms. That's going to be our claim to fame. Maybe that story, maybe that's something else. Ultimately, with Anthem, it wound up being flying because Destiny doesn't do flying. And so resources and allocation and vision and progress should have been devoted to flying. But flying wasn't even in the game when they initially did a demo for Electronic Arts, as this article describes. So it's, again, this constant issue with vision. And part of that is the head of their team leaving when he did. 
Continuing with the article, around the same time Electronic Arts executive Patrick Soderlund, to whom BioWare's leadership reported, played the Anthem Christmas demo, according to three people familiar with what happened, he told BioWare that it was unacceptable. So this is early 2017. This is about two years from when BioWare launches. Ultimately, BioWare would add flying to it to make it work. And then in June of 2017, at Microsoft's press conference at E3, they showed a demo that helped everyone, including BioWare's own developers, finally see how Anthem would play. Lack of vision. Even the developers didn't know that this is what the game would finally look like. And in all honesty, it doesn't actually finally look like that E3 demo, although it's close enough that you can see the DNA in that demo. Continuing with dysfunction, we see here that they have an internal issue, one that I generally refer to in the corporations that I represent and talk to and help strategize with as the branch office problem. It says, Anthem is the game you get from a studio that is at war with itself, said one former Bioware developer. Edmonton understandably has the perspective of, we are the original Bioware. Anybody not part of that brand is lesser and does not garner the same level of trust as people that are in the Edmonton office. So Edmonton is the real Bioware and everyone else is there essentially to serve them. Now, to some extent, there is a necessity there. You can't, in, on the one hand, say there's not enough vision, and then on the other complain that essentially Edmonton wants to go and tell Austin that we're the visionaries and you're going to help us execute it. Uh, you need something somewhere to help coordinate what this product is. You want everybody to have a voice at the table, but ultimately somebody has to make the decisions. So I am empathetic to this particular position of Edmonton having this position that says Austin's there to help support us and we need to be the ones with the vision. So that's okay as long as there's a vision that you have. Uh, and Austin goes on to talk about when Anthem was presented to us, it was never really clear what the game was. Developers who worked both in Austin and Edmonton say the messaging was that Edmonton would come up with the vision and Austin would execute on it, which caused tension between the two studios. Austin had a number of good ideas, having gone through the old Republic process themselves, which is in itself kind of an Anthem progenitor because they were dealing with, hey, there's a lot of people in the game and we want to tell a story at the same time. An Austin developer says, we'd already been through all of it with the old Republic. We knew what it was like when players felt like they were getting rushed through story missions because other players were on their headsets going, come on, come on, let's go. And this is absolutely evident as you play Anthem. You play a mission in Anthem for 20 minutes, and then there are 45 minutes of, not cutscenes, but dialogue that you can have with characters in Fort Tarsus. If you want that experience, which chances are if you're a fan of Bioware, you do want that experience because you assume the writing is up to the level, and some of it is, uh, and then... Everybody else that doesn't want to have it is essentially waiting for you or otherwise talking in your ear and you have to mute them while you have these conversations. There's literally these half hour chunks of downtime. So when I play Anthem and I have enjoyed my time with Anthem, I will be the first to admit you wind up playing it solo so that you can go and have the story missions and potentially link up with some matchmaking for a mission that's proving too difficult, but otherwise going back to Fort Tarsus to talk to people on your own. And this was an issue that is clearly not solved. The What they built is not something that really works. And that's an issue that really comes out of a development process like the one that's described in this article. However, publisher EA wouldn't let them delay the game any further than March 2019, the end of the company's fiscal year. Again, we see in the article another discussion of, yes, Bioware has these management issues. They have management decisions that go to the absolute top of the company, but 
They're also getting pressure from their parent company because production has gone on for seven years. March 2019, what turned out to be February 2019, is seven years after Electronic Arts started paying people to think about this thing. So yes, Electronic Arts shouldn't be releasing a game that isn't finished, and Anthem certainly had its issues on its launch. But to some level, I'm also sympathetic to their position, which is, hey, look, we got to get something out the door because we've been paying for this for so long. And frankly, the last thing you released, Mass Effect Andromeda, another game that I actually personally like, wasn't received very well by the media or by the customer base at large. After that announcement, essentially, that Electronic Arts had to have the thing released by uh, 2019, in mid-2017, that summer, Studio General Manager Aaron Flynn departed to be replaced by a returning Casey Hudson, General Manager being the head of the studio, the person that's in charge of the direction of Bioware. So Casey Hudson comes back, but he's not quite in the same role with respect to Anthem, and so they continue to move people around. They continue to have uh, different people take on these different roles, including a shift in this article that you can read about in what was being done with the next Dragon Age product, Dragon Age 4, or whatever they might wind up calling it, moving people around there. Again, tumult, flux, different management, different management styles, and never quite knowing exactly what the direction is for the game. By the beginning of 2018, by another former developer's recollection, Anthem's progress was so far behind that they'd only implemented a single mission. More descriptions in the article. It's not unusual for a video game to be in rough shape close to launch. Some of the best video games in history, like The Last of Us, came out of rocky development cycles in which many of the staff felt like they were screwed until everything coalesced at the last minute. Again, when we're thinking about the messaging that Bioware is going to have on this article, which Kotaku claims they didn't read, it's unclear whether that's entirely the case, because you can skim through it and see exactly what negatives you want to comment on. This is another area where they essentially say, as an editorial, hey, we admit games can look like tire fires as they're coming in hot and coalesce and come together. The Last of Us, which is one of the best games of all time, one of my personal favorite games, is described in this article as something that wasn't really a game until at the very last minute and then came out to be something special, something wonderful. They're admitting that, hey, Bioware magic might be a problem philosophically over the long term after you take enough spins of the wheel, but we are sympathetic to the fact that you can actually deliver a game this way, even if it's a problem for the people that are making it. One mandate from Anthem's directors had been to make the game unmemeable, a reaction to Mass Effect Andromeda's jittery facial animations. So this is another area of, of what I would characterize as mismanagement. They get so obsessed with concern for what happened to their prior product that they're overly sensitive to this. So Mass Effect Andromeda comes out and they're using a procedural lip-syncing uh, camera to help get enough lines of dialogue animated to release the video game. And a couple of those go wrong. They look weird in the final product because they're not personally touched up because that game came in hot as well. And a number of those clips wind up going on Reddit, wind up going on Twitter, wherever you might find clips, and they look kind of funny. That being said, it's not unusual for the video game industry. Even the Bethesda games that are beloved, like Skyrim or Oblivion or something along those lines, you can find floating people and backpacks that are invisible and donkeys on roofs and things of that nature. It's the nature of video games, and it doesn't detract from video game advertising or marketing as long as the underlying game is liked. And that was the real issue. So... That's what happened with Mass Effect Andromeda, and you see edicts like this, which are devoting resources, which are devoting time, which are devoting stress to fixing a specific issue that really shouldn't be an issue for actually bringing the game to market. So we've already talked about lack of vision. We've already talked about branch office issues. We've already talked about 
obsession with sensitivities here that shouldn't matter. You've got an office as described in this article. You've got a company in dysfunction. And that's how you wind up getting a product that isn't really for anybody at the end of the day. Just a couple months before Anthem shipped, decisions were still being finalized and overhauled. I'm plucking out sentences from the article here. Again, so you can read the specifics yourself, uh, but uh, you can see the timeline as Anthem gets closer and closer to shipment. By the end of 2018, just a few months ago, those who remained on Anthem wished they could have had just a few more months. But there was no escaping EA's fiscal targets, and Anthem had already been in development for nearly seven years. Early mock reviews, critical assessments provided by outside consultants, which is an, a fascinating thing. I, I'll look to see if I can find an article on that. If you're not familiar with how mock reviews work, there are a series of actual professional reviewers that have reviewed video games uh, throughout their careers that either aren't doing it currently or aren't doing it regularly that will provide for consulting fee, essentially a fake review for an early internal version of a video game so that uh, the game developers and the publishers can get a feel for what is likely going to be the outside reaction to this game so that they can get a feel for how much marketing to devote to it, what, if anything, needs to be delayed, whether they need to polish some things up, how it should be framed uh, in terms of what is going out there to the world. It's a fascinating area of video game development. I don't think it's touched upon very often. I might wind up doing a video on it uh, later on because I do think it's such an interesting thing. As it turned out, the February 15 build for the launch of Anthem was a few weeks old, a devastating mistake for Bioware that likely led to far more negative reviews than they might have received otherwise. Now, I'm not so sure about that. I think it's an interesting thing that I didn't actually realize from Anthem's release, but by releasing an older build that came with loading times and inventory issues and things of that nature that wouldn't wind up being in the game down the line a little bit, but it doesn't fundamentally change the core experience. You still have pretty long load times. You still have inventory issues. You still have the fact that you built a multiplayer online shooter that requires story interludes that really don't work with having friends aboard on your mission. So you still have the same fundamental issues with the entire kind of Anthem concept, but it certainly didn't help them to release the wrong build of the game. And it is emblematic of issues that were had all up and down the company line. Reading the reviews, one developer says, is like reading a laundry list of concerns that developers brought up with senior leadership. As anyone who's played an online game knows, it's hard to pay much attention to NPC dialogue when you're playing with other people, whether they're blabbing in your ear or rushing you to hurry up and get to the next mission. Among those who remain at the company, there's a belief that Anthem can be fixed, that with a few more months and some patience from players, it will have the same redemption story as so many service games before it, from Diablo 3 to Destiny. So... You have a couple things there. You have developers talking about how they tried to tell senior leadership. And I think that's probably true. I think it's difficult when you're crafting an article or a story like this because it's easy to sit back here in hindsight and say clearly mistakes were made, clearly missteps happened because the product that was released wasn't one that you can necessarily be that proud of. Uh, but it's also easy to say from that kind of anonymous developer's perspective, hey, I tried to tell them this thing. Uh, and management's getting a lot of those. They're getting hundreds of those. They're trying to figure out what they have the resources to fix, what they have the resources to change. By the time you were that far down the tracks, probably the mistakes that happened that doomed your project are three years old. Uh, and so I am sympathetic to those folks put in those positions because it's very easy to craft an article that talks about things like this uh, and not look at the whole uh, of, the, of the situation because management is dealing with those issues, uh, is trying to solve these things. Project managers are trying to solve these things. It's the same thing that happens when you have 
probably minor bugs in games that get released and quality assurance can release an anonymous report that says, hey, we told the developers about that. To some extent, the developers have to squash the really game-killing bugs that force a game to not be released and try to patch other things later. A lot of these come in hot, uh, and so I am sympathetic to that kind of process. But it's still the case that they existed and that there were these problems with the design. And finally, the quote about the belief that Anthem can be fixed, that with a few more months and some patience from players, it will have the same redemption story as other games like Destiny, which didn't release to very high marks, although it released to higher marks than Anthem did, and slowly became a kind of game of the generation insofar as people putting hours and hours and time and effort uh, and uh, belief into it and its ecosystem as well as in Destiny 2, that they want to have that. And certainly games as a service allows you to continue to morph your game and make it better. But the reason I highlighted this section at the end of this article is, again, the notion that the article is needlessly slamming Bioware uh, is pretty easily disproved. You've got a paragraph here that talks about the fact that Bioware believes it can be fixed. Talks about the process that led to Anthem getting out there, which is an important and interesting story to put out there. And one that I think is very important to the industry to move forward because gaming needs to stop being so clandestine. Gaming needs to stop being so secretive because you only learn, you only get better developer to developer or even internally by having these kinds of conversations. And I think things like GDC, where you have these kind of more open conversations about the mistakes that were made and the successes that were made are very, very useful, but it shouldn't even be this private and quiet and closed off and clandestine as it is. And I think it's important to have these stories and it's important to keep them balanced. And I think this article really does do that. It talks a little bit about stress leaving. It talks a little bit about crunch and people not being happy with the way they were managed, but it's not overly mean about it. It takes a critical eye and it finishes with this statement. It says, perhaps Anthem will morph into a great game one day. It's really not optimistic necessarily, but uh, open to possibilities at the end of the article. And I think that's to its credit. But what, I wanted to talk about after we kind of talked about the overall thrust and development of the article was what Bioware had to say about it. So we've got this update from 1130 a.m. on the the article that says, Minutes after the publication of this article, EA and Bioware put up a blog post in apparent response. We had sent over a bullet-pointed summary of, of what was in this piece, although they did not have a chance to read the article before publishing their post, which makes it a particularly bizarre response. The post explains the lack of comment for our article and goes on to say some things that we're going to look at directly. But as a counter response, Kotaku finishes up by saying, we believe in asking questions and publishing what we can find out. We hope that in the future, EA and Bioware will see the value of that process. And if you follow me on social media, if you see me on Twitter, you know I don't necessarily agree with everything Kotaku puts out there, with everything that Jason Schreier puts out there. But I think... Even in disagreement, not only is variety the spice of life, but it's in that disagreement, it's in those conversations that the industry really does move forward. And I think Jason Schreier and Kotaku are performing a valuable service for this industry uh, that I love so much uh, and that I have folks that I represent in that uh, is, is needed, that we need that openness, we need that dialogue. Uh, and it's one of those areas where I think Bioware is really wrong-footed And let's take a look at exactly why. So here I have the blog post from Bioware from earlier this morning, the one that's referenced at the end of the Kotaku article, that says, Anthem Game Development by Bioware, 
which is an interesting flag, and I wanted to point it out for you because most of these blog posts are by somebody. They're by Casey Hudson or they're by their live services team head. Uh, And that was even for negative uh, kind of blog posts that talked about issues that they were having either in the community or with inventory or with loot systems or with the early demo. Generally speaking, they're by a person. Here it's not. Uh, This is designed for a couple reasons from Bioware. One is to say that it's a unified response, that this is how the entire company feels about the article that was put up. And two, if you're being a little bit more conspiratorial, it's so that no one has to put their name to this particular position. No one necessarily wants to be going out there with a negative reaction to Kotaku on this score. And so they just say it's from Bioware, just like it's from the editors from your favorite newspaper, where no one in particular wants to claim ownership of the actual statements being made. That's an interesting point. It's not the main point that I wanted to address here, but it's an interesting one because it is an unusual step for Bioware in particular to take, but really anyone that's making a community statement. The first significant point I want to make here, and it's easy to kind of skip as you're reading this, is that Bioware didn't have to make a statement at all. It's not something that was required. They had already declined to make a statement to Kotaku. And so when we're reading this, it has to be on the understanding that they're trying to accomplish something. They're trying to change the narrative or describe their own narrative in a way that they felt wouldn't happen if they just let the Kotaku article stand for itself. And that's an interesting position to be in because as we read this we'll see they don't do themselves a lot of service they don't say anything that is specific to the actual if not allegations description of the events that took place during the anthem development process instead they simply reiterate that they're a good company but let's take a look at the actual language that they use we'd like to take a moment to address an article published this morning about bioware and anthem's development First and foremost, this is the main point, this is what they want to get across to you if you skip reading the rest of this thing. We wholeheartedly stand behind every current and former member of our team that worked on the game, including leadership. A couple things jump out at me here. One, they're talking about people, and they're going to frame this article as a takedown of individual people. We're going to see that in the language that they use. So what they're not focused on is the decision-making that took place. That's an interesting distinction because... What I think the article really talks about is not those people as human beings, not failings of character, of who they are as people, but the decisions that were made. As a matter of fact, I noted while reading the article, it doesn't usually frame any particular decision as coming from the mind of any particular person. Part of that is a problem with the process, right? The main problem with the Anthem development process, as uh, expounded upon in that article, is they lack vision. So if you lack vision... You don't have necessarily someone to hang the hat on the bad decisions. So that's one of the reasons that you didn't see those decisions being made at all. And you can read paragraphs in that article that talk about nobody wanted to make a decision in a meeting because they didn't want to be the person that made the mistake. And while that's bad to come out with a game, it also kind of protects you from actually being taken down as an individual, which Kotaku didn't do in my reading of the article. But that's what Bioware is responding to. And it's an interesting kind of messaging and political style trick, which is to kind of shift the goalposts to move the focus of their counterpoint to something that wasn't said. Uh, What we might describe on the internet, if you're familiar with internet arguments, is a kind of straw man. They're fighting something that wasn't there because it's easy to take down. But they say, we stand behind our people and we're not for individual takedowns. The other thing I want to say on Bioware's behalf is, of course they do. This is the only statement that you could make if you're Bioware. We stand behind our people. If you've ever watched a sporting event and you've seen a team lose or lose terribly, 
and the coach that comes out there and says, well, every team person on uh, this squad sucked and they were terrible at their jobs, but I was great and the game plan was great. You know how you feel about that coach. You think that coach is a jerk, that he shouldn't say those things because he came up with a game plan that failed and the players were doing their best or maybe they weren't doing their best and there's equal blame around everybody, but you don't just pass the buck that way. And so Bioware coming out and saying, we believe in our people is the only statement that you could expect them to make. But again, go back to the first point I made. They didn't have to make this statement at all. It's understood that the company stands behind its people. It wouldn't be paying them hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars a year if it didn't believe in what they could ultimately output. So that's not terribly useful information. The next sentence says, it takes a massive amount of effort, energy, and dedication to make any game. And making Anthem would not have been possible without every single one of their efforts. Of course, that's goes without saying. We chose not to comment or participate in this story because we felt there was an unfair focus on specific team members and leaders who did their absolute best to bring this totally new idea to fans. Okay. I don't think anywhere in the Kotaku article is there a claim that people were lazy, that they were trying to steal money from Bioware and Electronic Arts by not doing their jobs, that they believed they were coming up with a product that wouldn't work, with a project that wouldn't work. Again, we see a straw man. We see a message that's designed to counter an argument that hasn't been made. And that's another area where you can see this blindness that we talked about while going through the Kotaku article. You can see that they were concerned in the bullet points that Kotaku sent over without reading the article as Kotaku claims. And I think, I think as you see this statement, you do get that feeling that it's not exactly responsive to what Kotaku was writing about. They were concerned that this was another rock star piece where we work our people to death and it takes 100 hours a day or whatever it is that those articles came out about uh, in respect of Red Dead Redemption 2, that this was Kotaku taking a swing at their people or at the culture that they had created. And I think Kotaku and Jason really avoid that in this particular article. And I think that essentially responding and saying they did their best is not terribly helpful. Again, what you want to hear from the Biowares of the world when you've paid $60 or $80 or $100 or whatever it is video games are selling for uh, in this particular market, you want to hear, hey, if we released a 55 or if we release something lower or that doesn't meet your expectations of the product that we can deliver, we're sorry. We did do our best, but we understand that you're disappointed. We understand that folks are disappointed with the product that came out, that what we've built up in our goodwill means that people expect more from us and we don't want to waste that goodwill. We love that people expect that amount from us and we're sorry we didn't deliver on that expectation, but we're going to in the next few years and we're going to in the next product and we will continue to do our best. And what we had here was a failure of communication and leadership that is not specific to the people at issue, but the processes that we had in place. You can change the argument around that. You can say, hey, the structure was wrong. Hey, we've got the wrong incentives in place. We've got the wrong procedures. We can fix that, and we're going to make it better the next time. Kotaku wasn't necessarily arguing that these people are evil, that they're lazy, that they're wrong. They argued that they didn't get a product to market that worked out in the best way possible. And that's what Bioware should be responding to. And that's what they fail to respond to. Their statement continues. We didn't want to be a part of something that was attempting to bring them down as individuals. Again, straw man. That's why we highlighted the various sections of the article as we went through it from Kotaku. 
to talk about what Bioware was going to frame this as, an individual takedown, and that wasn't what it was. We respect them all, and we built this game as a team. That's the main paragraph. That's the first paragraph. There's a lot more here. We're going to go over it. But that's what they want you to take away if you don't take anything else away from the statement that they made. We do not respond to individual takedowns. They are hit pieces, and we will not be a part of them. Of course, the Kotaku article wasn't a hit piece. It was a description of a management that was clearly dysfunctional, that is obviously dysfunctional from the results of the product that came out of it. Uh, And there is useful introspection to happen there. And a good, humble response would suggest that this is all news to us. We're reading it for the first time. We understand there are issues with the fundamental way in which this game came to be. And we are continuing our commitment to improve as a video game company to service our community and to get games out there that everybody can enjoy. The second paragraph talks about workplace. We skipped it a little bit in our summary of the Kotaku article. There's an entire section that talks about folks that get uh, overly stressed uh, from the environment, which makes a lot of sense based on what we heard of the way this game was managed, and have to essentially quit for medical reasons uh, for a period of time from Bioware. This, this paragraph says, the health and well-being of our team is something we take seriously. We have built a new leadership team over the last couple of years, starting with Casey Hudson as our GM in 2017, which has helped us make big steps to improve studio culture and our creative focus. Note what that statement says. It essentially acknowledges that there was an issue and that it's been improved or is improving. That's great. That's what you want to hear. You want to hear they've taken steps to correct an issue that's been identified. But note what you don't hear. You don't have the sentence that goes immediately before this. You don't have the sentence that acknowledges that there was an issue, that there was a problem. You don't have a sentence that says, Uh, We acknowledge that there were these stress-related leaves, that the production of Anthem was not as smooth as it could have been, and we've built a new leadership team. You just have them say, we take things seriously, and we've built a new leadership team. It's important to note the omissions when you're looking at messaging and when you're looking at public relations, because they can often be just as important as what is said. Their statement goes on, we hear the criticisms that were raised by the people in the piece today, and we're looking at that alongside feedback that we receive in our internal team surveys. We put a lot of focus on better planning to avoid crunch time, and it was not a major topic of feedback in our internal postmortems. That's an interesting sidestep, right? They're saying the people that left their company didn't report that they were overly crunched. They didn't report that they were put upon and that they were unhappy with their workload. And so everything must have been fine. That may or may not be the case. Of course, something like I'm not unhappy with the level of crunch time could be seen as more emblematic of issues with the entire video game industry in and of itself. So it's not really a saving grace. And note also what these two sentences do that are exactly the opposite of the prior sentence, where they say we've built a new leadership team, presumably to address problems that they've had. The next two sentences are, but we don't have problems. So that's an interesting dichotomy in the same paragraph of this Bioware statement. In this statement alone, you can see the conflicting visions of Bioware. It is without doubt a statement that had gone through committee, that had been seen by the GM and probably by Electronic Arts, probably by their legal counsel, with different folks inputting different things. You don't have a paragraph that says, we take things seriously, we take them so seriously, we did things that changed our leadership. Oh, and by the way, we don't have any problems. That doesn't make any sense logically. And it's one of those areas where, even if you don't realize it as you're reading the statement, you wind up getting frustrated that they're not paying attention to what the actual legitimate concerns are. And this is the same issue you could see 
with BioWare's messaging surrounding the, the somewhat lighter issue of their completely failed demo for Anthem and how they had responded to people that couldn't get in and couldn't get what they had purchased as VIPs of the Anthem game or service. So you continue to have this blindness and this frustration that develops from people just reading these statements. And I think it's fair to say BioWare doesn't know why. And the reason is because of what we're describing in this video, these kinds of counterpoints that don't directly touch on each other and create these logical contradictions within an, its own paragraph. Continuing on, they say making games, especially new IP, will always be one of the hardest entertainment challenges. So if there were problems, it's because it's so hard. We do everything we can and try and make it healthy and stress-free, but we also know there's always room to improve. So breaking this entire paragraph down, we take issues very seriously. We take them so seriously, we created a new leadership team, but nobody really has a problem. And making new stuff is hard. So if they did have a problem, we could always improve. It's a mealy-mouthed combination of every single type of response they could think of to this uh, notion that the article is going to be a hit piece of the kind that was put on Rockstar for overworking its staff. And it's frankly not really a thrust of the article at all, which makes its position in this statement uh, not only flummoxing, but somewhat problematic in and of itself. Finishing off their statement, as a studio and a team, we accept all criticisms that will come our way for the games we make, especially from our players. The creative process is often difficult and the struggles and challenges of making video games are very real. So that goes along with the last couple sentences of the above paragraph. So you might think they would break that out into a separate paragraph, but they didn't. Essentially, making new stuff is hard. But the reward of putting something we created into the hands of our players is amazing. Again, speaking to the wall, this isn't answering anything in particular. You have a Kotaku article, talk about mismanagement, talk about why Anthem is what it is, and then you have a random sentence that says, we love making games. People in this industry put so much passion and energy into making something fun. We don't see the value in tearing down one another or one another's work. We don't believe articles that do that are making our industry and craft better. So, again, Kotaku's article is a hit piece, one they didn't appear to read, and we don't subscribe to hit pieces or things that tear down one another's work. That really needs to be thought of a little bit. Again, Bioware isn't responding to what Kotaku claimed, and they're trying to change the tone of the argument by framing it as a hit piece and saying, hey, we just make video games and we just want people to have fun and we just want people to love them. Can't you see we are trying to make everybody happy? I don't doubt that Bioware was trying its best to put an Anthem game out that was going to get a 99 and be the best thing that ever happened to video games. I don't doubt that one bit, but it didn't happen. And evaluating why it didn't happen is a useful process. I agree that teardowns, takedowns, calling somebody names, ad hominem attacks, calling somebody lazy or evil is wrong, is bad. Hit pieces are bad. But actually critically analyzing what brought you from point A to point B and why point B isn't where you set out to go is a useful process in any industry. And it's not just limited to the Biowares of the world or even the video game industry. And to look blindly and say, hey, we're not interested in that kind of analysis because everything was fine and don't you know making new games is difficult is not at all a helpful response. Their final statement in this piece is our full focus is on our players and continuing to make Anthem everything it can be for our community. Thank you to our fans for your support. We do what we do for you. Again, the tone here is fine-ish, 
but it frames the audience uh, in an off-putting way. It essentially says, hey, and if you read that and you think there are issues with Bioware, well, we didn't make the games for you. We make the games for people that like us. We make the games for people that like Anthem, and we're going to make it better for people that like Anthem. So if you don't, hey, you just go away because we do it for our fans, for our support. We do what we do for you. Get out if you don't like us. Might be another way to frame that statement. And so taken holistically, you can see Bioware has a communications issue. And this statement is completely emblematic of exactly the kind of communications issues that are described in that Kotaku article internally. We see them externally with the issues that they have communicating even a simple idea like, hey, Anthem didn't come out like we would have hoped. That's an easy statement to make. Obviously, it's only a couple months old. It can obviously be fixed. It can go through the iterations that Destiny did. Division 2 is fundamentally a, a much better game than the Division 1. We expect an iterative process. We expect things to get better, and we expect companies to make mistakes. But what we don't expect as fans, as a public at large, is for companies to turn a blind eye and assume that every legitimate criticism is an attack and is a hit piece. Frankly, that's part of the issue with the modern internet age is essentially assuming that anybody that criticizes or that has a negative thought or thing to say is somehow evil, is somehow the enemy, is somehow attacking you. It's very easy to put them in a box and put them aside and not improve yourself, not improve your company, not improve your product output. And that's what I fear is happening to Bioware and to a lesser extent, Electronic Arts. I don't know what Electronic Arts had to say about any of this because I don't know whether they uh, went through each line of the Bioware statement. They certainly saw it before it went live. I can't imagine Bioware would make a communication like this uh, without talking to Electronic Arts, but I don't know what part in the process they had. Uh, so I don't want to place that blame on them. I think there are pieces of Electronic Arts that are working. Uh, I think they are limited in number uh, as of late. Uh, but I do think that this is a very specific issue for Bioware. And frankly, if this kind of corporate uh, arrogance isn't nipped in the bud, you could see them easily slide down this road even further. And so I think communications like this, a blog post on a random day in April, aren't anything to get up in arms about or to worry about to a great extent, except when they are just the next step on a pathway to isolation and to not listening to community and fans, yes, but even to legitimate critical complaints from the journalist class, from the video game community, from even your fans. And I think Bioware finds itself in this kind of isolative uh, position that is not going to lead to anywhere good if they don't correct and right the ship. So that's today's episode of Virtual Legality. Again, we talk a lot about messaging on this channel as of late. Uh, thankfully, Electronic Arts and Bioware has given us a lot to chew on on that subject, and they certainly didn't stop today. Uh, but if you like this video, please do like, please subscribe, please share it around wherever you think somebody might be interested in having this discussion of talking about these points. And please do leave comments. I love engaging with my audience about these issues. If you think I'm stupid or an idiot or wrong, please leave that comment. I'm happy to engage with that. Or if you think I'm right and want to tell me how right I am, you know I love that comment as well. Please do leave those. Uh, and again, if you're watching this on YouTube, thank you so very much for watching. And if you're catching it on a podcast service, uh, please review it. Please review the stream. I love getting those reviews and, and continuing to broaden my audience that way. But otherwise, thank you so very much for listening. And I will catch you on the next episode of Virtual Legality. <laughs>